freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. The liberation of your soul and mind. That's what this show is all about. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I am your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, of course, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, April 15th, 2012. It is tax day. How appropriate, how absolutely wonderfully synchromystic is it that I'm going to be talking about the non-support of the dominator culture on tax day of 2012. It could not have been planned any better than that, and indeed, I did not plan that. This just happens to be where we're at in the subject matter. We have a power-packed show for you here today. I mean, the information I'm going to be giving in this show is full of true power if you are capable of grasping it, if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. This information is empowerment personified. We're going to continue to cover the ultimate in the way of solutions, and that is to stop giving one's support and even to stop giving one's respect in the form of some form of admiration or, or thought that there m- must be present in you some kind of um, obligation to obey, some sort of a moral obligation to obey the dominator system that has been erected all around us, this completely immoral system of control that wants to make us go against our conscience. We're going to be talking a lot about conscience in the show today and justifications for wrong actions. So that's coming up when uh, we get more into how to pull our support back from dominators and the dominator culture and understand what the domination of other people really is by understanding what our natural law rights are and what they are not. That's coming up on the show today. 
I do have many event announcements. I have uh, five event announcements, so I'm going to start them and we'll continue them after the break. The official Philadelphia End the Fed rally will be taking place this coming Sunday, April 22nd, 2012 at 11 o'clock a.m. at the Federal Reserve Bank here in Philadelphia. That's it. Uh, 6th and Arch Streets, 6th and Arch in Philadelphia. And uh, we'll be gathering outside of the Federal Reserve building for the End the Fed rally. It's called the Rally for Sound Money for America. Um, This is hosted by Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. For more information on this event, go to truthfreedomprosperity.org. I have four other event announcements I want to tell people about that are happening right here in Philadelphia coming up this month. Um, actually, uh, two of them are about radio show appearances I'm making, actually. So we'll continue that on the other side of the break. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Okay, we're back. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Here on Oracle Broadcasting, I'm your host, Mark Passio, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Continuing with the event announcements, uh, we talked about the Philly and the Fed rally happening next Sunday, April 22nd, the same day, uh, very close to the same location, just across uh, at Independence Mall Park, across from the Federal Reserve Building, um, will be the Philly Freedom Rally. And freedom is spelled P-H-R-E-E-D-O-M as a uh, uh, play on the word Philadelphia. This is happening the same day, Sunday, April 22nd, 2012 at 1 o'clock p.m. at Independence Hall Park. Okay, so they have the entire park reserved in front of Independence Mall and in front of the Independence Visitor Center. Uh, This is called the Philadelphia Rally for Freedom 2012 featuring the speakers Dr. Ron Paul, who should bring out thousands of um, supporters. Michael Schuer will also be speaking. He is a former CIA intelligence officer. And James Padiglione Jr. of Students for Liberty here in Philadelphia. Uh, those are the featured speakers. I believe Larkin Rose is also speaking. Uh, I believe he's speaking at the End the Fed event. So that should be great to hear Larkin Rose speaking as well on Sunday here in Philadelphia. Um, performing live musical acts as part of the Philadelphia Freedom Rally on Independence Mall Park um, will be Jordan Page and Tatiana Moroz. For more information on uh, this great event, the Philadelphia Freedom Rally 2012, uh, you could visit www.freedom2012.com, freedom spelled P-H-R-E-E-D-O-M, or visit truthfreedomprosperity.org. The monthly documentary screening and discussion evening for Truth, Freedom, Prosperity, hosted by uh, Barb and myself, will be on Wednesday, April 25th, 2012, at 7 o'clock p.m. at Media Bureau Studios, the corner of 4th and Brown, that's 725 North 4th Street in the Northern Liberties section of the city. This month, we will be screening the documentary film Chimatica about the esoteric agenda and what we can do to end it and to achieve true 
and lasting peace and freedom in our world. It's a great film. People should really uh, be aware of it and take it in because it does propose uh, a lot of great solutions. Now, uh, I have two event announcements regarding radio shows, actually three. I want to tell you about radio shows that I was on this past week, uh, interviews that are posted to the site, and I want to tell you about upcoming interviews I have coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I was interviewed on the Bob Tuscan show this past Monday, April 9th. That's in the news section. It's also under the latest news items on the front page of the site, whatonearthishappening.com. I was also interviewed by Doug Owen on Blacklisted Radio uh, here on Oracle Broadcasting on Tuesday, April 10th. I was brought in on the second hour. Uh, we talked about uh, food and juicing. And on the Bob Tuscan show, the topics were um, natural law, objective truth, um, the usage, the dark usage of the Hegelian dialectic and false flag terror attacks and more. So uh, those interviews are posted to the site in the news section. I have two upcoming interviews that I'm really looking forward to and am excited about. On the Vinnie Eastwood show, this coming Tuesday, April 17th, I will be making an appearance being interviewed by Vinnie Eastwood on the uh, American Freedom Radio Network. Uh, his show is from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and he'll be bringing me on as part of a roundtable discussion on the occult with Freighter X, okay, of the Middle Chamber on American Freedom Radio, and also the Illuminated One, Curtis Davis. This is going to be an awesome roundtable discussion. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, that's coming up April 17th on the Vinnie Eastwood Show, American Freedom Radio, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. On Monday, April 23rd, from 8 to 10 p.m. East Coast time, I will be interviewed on the Occult Empire radio show on the Antimatter Zone Network, hosted by Bob from Cincinnati. Uh, I've been on Bob's show before. He's a great host. Uh, I like his show on the Occult. Uh, Occult Empire with Bob from Cincinnati. I'll be making a return appearance to that show Monday, April 23rd, 8 to 10 p.m. And the topic is going to be the Rosicrucian tradition of occultism. We're going to be getting into the deep esoteric aspects of Rosicrucianism and the Rosicrucian tradition in general. You, you're not going to want to miss that show. It's going to be a great one. So uh, those are the upcoming appearances I have scheduled for other radio shows. And that concludes the event announcements. So let's jump right into the subject matter for today's show, which is a continuation of the section, the solutions section, known as the non-support of dominators. Now, uh, if you want to follow along with all of the images, as always, go up to the What on Earth is Happening website, click on the radio show tab, and underneath the player on the radio show page, you will see a series of links, of numbered links. These are the images that I'm going to be referring to. You can click them to bring up a slideshow to follow along with the images that go along with the concepts and ideas that I will be discussing, discussing throughout the show today. Image number one is simply the Freedom Rally poster, so you could check that out. Image number two is this image that I put up here for this entire section of solution-oriented approaches, and I will continue to be using this image because it's extremely powerful, and there's 
uh, subtleties in it that are put there deliberately, okay? So um, I call this entire section the way out because it is the way out of the mess that we have created for ourselves. It's the way out of the cage that humanity has made for itself, okay? And it shows a man and woman holding hands and walking out into another world, into the light, seemingly out of a dark tunnel and into a world of light. And you can see where their hands are joined. You know, that is like the bottom of a heart, kind of, okay, uh, symbolically. It's also the symbol of the, the grail or the, the inverted triangle, which represents the sacred feminine, which is such a huge part of the solution, which is true care turning on one's conscience, the knowledge between right and wrong, and the willful decision to employ that knowledge for the right and to not participate in the wrong. And the letter Y joins directly at their hands. That's also not just synchronistic or synchromistic, that is deliberate, okay, in how I designed this image in this slide. The the Letter Y and the the question Y is something we're going to be talking about here today on this show. Okay, this also is this image of the Grail or the Chalice. Okay, this sacred feminine symbol, and it is the ultimate solution. It is the ultimate secret to everything in the universe. The question Y. That's the thing that too many people do not ask, and that's why they do not have the solution in hand. Why is what power is all about. It is what empowerment is, is the ability to ask that question. It is the will to ask that question and then to seek an answer to it. So we'll be continuing with the non-support of dominators. We're going to talk about emotional mind control, what solutions really are, the absolute nature of truth, conscience, and its employment and Flawless much more science believes you deserve the right to have a long and healthy life i was born a shotgun in my hands behind the gun i'll make my final stand yeah. welcome back everyone We're talking about solutions, as we will be for many weeks or months. <coughs> and today, we'll be continuing the coverage of the section called the non-support of dominators as one of the biggest solutions to the problems which humanity faces. Image number three on the slides that I've prepared for today is... <coughs> Just a listing of the grassroots solutions that we have been and will be covering on uh, this part of the What on Earth is Happening radio show. We've already covered many of these. We're uh, up at the top of the second column, uh, and we've basically uh, gone through uh, the first column of solutions and also mindfulness in the second column. We'll be continuing with uh, this list of solutions as the show progresses. But we're going to be spending time on the non-supportive dominators for probably several weeks. And as I said last week, there are several things to keep in mind when I go through this section. And the first thing is that the gloves are off. That's the first thing I want to let everyone know. 
Uh, you're going to hear me say things that are seemingly harsh throughout this entire section. Um, take it however you want. Get as offended as you like, as always. Um, I'm not here to make friends. This isn't a popularity contest. I'm here to tell people what the truth is. That's it. Um, and to explain to them how they're creating their own self-inflicted suffering. I don't serve this race called humanity. I am not its servant. I am a servant of truth. That's it. That's my only allegiance. I don't have an allegiance to any race of beings. So I'm not doing this because I love humanity. I'm doing this because I love and serve truth. And it's the right thing to do. And that's the only reason I do it. You know, it's a beautiful, wonderful spring day here in Philadelphia uh, with shockingly no chemtrails in the sky for today. Amazingly, I should say. You know, and I could be out enjoying the day. I could be out, you know, ha having a great time on a beautiful spring day. But instead, I spent all day inside preparing this show and preparing the slides for it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this because I want to be doing it for people. I'm doing it because there's a moral obligation as someone who knows this information to speak it to other people. And maybe you could even hear a hint of bitterness in my voice regarding that. Because, yeah, I could be doing what I want to do, what my ego self wants to do, versus what I know I should be doing. And I give of my time freely in that capacity when I could be doing other things. And that's really, that's the kind of sacrifice that is going to be required if humanity is going to turn this situation around. And I'm not saying I'm any kind of a martyr because of it. But I'm telling you, I go through the whole gamut of emotions just like anyone else might when they're making a sacrifice and giving up something, you know, that maybe their ego-driven desires want versus what they know they should be doing with their time. So, you know, if everybody contributed a little bit toward that great work, it would get done easily. But unfortunately, most people sit back on the sidelines, complain or do nothing or, or you know, uh, just feel sorry about the situation that they're in. Don't exercise their will. Don't get involved. Don't get into the game. They sit on the sidelines, armchair quarterbacking, and uh, pick out little minutia that they don't like about other people's work. And, and, and the work doesn't ultimately get done. The true great work doesn't get done of awakening conscience in humanity. Because sadly, most people uh, you know, are going to sit back and watch and wait for other people to take action instead of actually getting involved in the game, the game themselves. So uh, going back to you know what I was talking about is the gloves are coming off. And I'm not an apologist for people like so many new agey uh, uh, lecturers or, or hosts are. Okay, I'm going to give you the straight deal regardless of how painful it is. And that's part of Paying attention to that and accepting that is part of not being in emotional mind control, which we talked about last week. Hearing things that make you uncomfortable about what's really going on in the world or even really going on within yourself and then you rejecting it because it makes you feel uncomfortable is what emotional mind control is all about. And so many people are under that form of mind control. You know, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you choose to ignore it or you choose to believe that it can't be true. Or, you know, 
oh, I don't like that guy's delivery. I don't like his style. I don't like the sound of his voice. I don't like his hair. I don't like, you know, the clothes that he wears, this or that. Well, then I'm going to ignore his message. That's all emotional mind control. That's the ego saying to you, well, this doesn't resonate with one of my preferences, and therefore I'm going to cast off the message. And I'm going to choose to believe that that message is also bogus because I don't like something about this person, personally. You know, or maybe his voice just doesn't resonate me, with me and it grates on me. Or maybe I think he's boring. Or maybe I think, you know, he's not passionate about, you know, enough about what he's saying. Or maybe he's overly passionate, passionate about what he's saying. Any of these things. But the bottom line is people under this form of emotional mind control aren't listening to the message, the actual information. They're listening to how it's delivered. Or they're looking at the person and saying, well, I don't like his look or I don't like his style. All forms of emotional mind control. Another part of emotional mind control, as we covered last week, is when people have in their mind an identification with another human being. For for example, perhaps the role that they play in a family situation, like a father or a brother or a mother or a sister or a daughter or a son. Okay? And therefore, they graft that role onto another situation. So how a father might treat a daughter in the family has nothing to do with the father's actions as a police officer or as a soldier. He could go and commit complete and utter transgressions against natural law in certain roles and in other roles that he plays in his lower self, his ego self, okay, he may play a completely different role in a relationship with someone else. And that emotional attachment to a role that someone plays can be transferred or grafted onto another role that that person plays in life. So a daughter seeing her father as a cop or as a soldier, for an example, she will graft on her identification or her idea of what that being actually is like as a father, but refuse to look at the role he is actually playing as a soldier, for example. This is another form of emotional mind control. It is a form of emotional attachment to a role that we identify someone with in life, such that we are justifying their behaviors in other roles, okay? And it's a powerful form of emotional attachment with extremely difficult bonds to break because they're rooted in the physiology, specifically the physiology of the limbic brain, which generates emotions and emotional attachments. When we feel an emotion, a, an, a pattern go, is set in motion in the brain of neural activity. And it gets rooted like that because we're constantly exposed to this person in a particular role. So when we try to see them in a different light, in true respect, you know, not respecting what they do regardless of what it is. That's not what I mean by that. By taking another look at, which is what the word respect really means, from the Latin re, meaning again, and specto spectare, which means to look at. We need to really respect that individual. To take another look at them in this alternative role that they are playing in the world and judge it honestly. 
not with an emotional attachment. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Continuing to discuss emotional mind control, why this form of mind control, which I call heart control, uh, and to my knowledge, that's a term I've coined myself, why it's so difficult to break is because it has physiologically rooted, um, a physiologically rooted nature within the brain, in the limbic part of the brain, uh, where we can form emotional attachments and fall into a pattern of not taking a look honestly, or in this case, as I've said, taking another look honestly, the word respect, truly respecting someone else's role in a different position in life, just because we've formed a certain form of, of an emotional attachment to another role that they're, they happen to be playing. So another kind of emotional mind control I covered last week is when people deliver a message in a certain way, even if they're saying the truth, many people will not want to hear them because they want it delivered in sweet and pleasant tones without ever pointing any fingers or without ever raising any alarms, you know, or anything like that. They, they, uh, it's like a baby that can't chew a piece of food that needs it mushed up or put, you know, through a straw. Okay, these are people who don't have a mature psychological any mature psychological sensibilities. They don't have the psychological acumen to be able to handle being told truth in an upfront and direct way. And again, this show is not for those individuals. I'm not addressing those individuals. I'm addressing the people who are real men and women and who can handle hearing something that is true. And I'm, I'm trying to reach those individuals. I'm not trying to reach the babies among us, okay, to put it quite simply and harshly. Those people are going to have to go through enough pain and suffering to get the message unless they decide that they're going to grow up and come out of that emotional, psychological, and spiritual state of infanthood. Okay, because that's what they are. They're infants in those capacities, mentally, psychologically, and spiritually. And I don't make excuses for people like that and never have. They're making a willful decision to remain in that state of consciousness. You could blame it on mind control and fear all day long, but ultimately it's because they hate the personal responsibility that comes with knowing. That's all it really is about. And let's start calling it as it is instead of making excuses or trying to justify it. We're going to talk about justification later in the show. So in image number six here, uh, image five, I put a, an image of what uh, emotional mind control looks like. The, the monkeys with their hands over their uh, eyes, ears, and mouth. The see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil image uh, because that's what emotional mind control is about. You know, not wanting to take a look at the ugly truth. 
that we're basically living in a prison here, and, we, and it's a prison of our own design. Brought on by our own spiritual immaturity and refusal to take personal responsibility for our own actions. Image six is this idea that I'm talking about, about people um, speaking the truth, but perhaps speaking it in a harsh way or in a way that is loud or abrasive, and people refusing to listen to the actual message. They're not seeing the two plus two equals four. See, what, what do their eyes and ears go to, right? Is it going to the message that's in that speech bubble, which is true, unwaveringly true for all times and places from the beginning of creation till the end of time it's true and has no other solution to it okay or are they paying attention to what the guy's hair looks like or what color lipstick the woman's wearing or how her hair is cut or that the one woman speaking through a microphone or the other guy's wearing a suit all of this is things that have no bearing on whether the, the message is true or not. But people under this form of emotional mind control, when it comes to hearing truth, oh, they'll accept the message coming from people who dress nicely and have wonderful posture and will put on that lovely mask. Oh, the plastic face, the plastic uh, surgery face even that you see in, in so many newscasters and, and Hollywood celebrities, etc. You know, and, oh, we'll dress in our fancy three-piece suit and we'll have all the flashy graphics, you know, and we'll, we'll talk to you like you're in, in kindergarten, okay? And we'll, we'll treat you like the little baby that we know that you are and speak in such sweet and pleasant tones and yet we'll lie right to your face and tell you, that two plus two is five, that black is white, that war is peace, and that fr slavery is freedom is slavery, and vice versa. And nothing can ever make what's in the the speech bubble in image number seven true, ever. It will never be true, no matter how sweetly it's said, no matter how much people want to accept it, no matter how much people want to believe it's true. And this holds true for anything else, not just mathematics. This holds true for laws of behavioral consequence, for natural law, for issues of right and wrong. And that's why people have such a hard time when you tell them, if you're focused on the people at the top of the pyramid and you're not trying to educate the people at the bottom, you do not understand what is creating the prison you live in. Those people are a paltry, infinitesimal few and could do nothing to the bulk of humanity on their own. The, their influence would be completely negated if the bulk of humanity had and exercised conscience. And that's why people who are under emotional mind control when it comes to the roles that individuals in a dominator culture are playing, okay, don't want to hear the truth that's written on slide number eight. That it's the people at the base of the pyramid who are creating the problem, not the people at the top.
Those people at the top are influencers. They're not actually taking the, the violent actions. Do you see David Rockefeller taking violent action on other people? This, this bony old man who's practically infirm, who could be blown over in a strong breeze? Is he the person who's physically injuring and harming other people and ta physically taking their freedom away from them for non-wrongs, for non-harm? Is he the one who's stepping all over other people's rights by acts of violence? No, he's perhaps, well, not perhaps, definitely influencing those actions, but he's not the one taking those actions. These are the people who are taking those actions. And therefore, they are the creators of what we have termed the Dark New World Order. And that's unwaveringly, continuously, and forever the case. It is true. That statement is true definitively. It's not an opinion. And it's definitely, absolutely the truth. And if you don't understand that, you don't get it yet. You don't get it yet. Okay? So, here's the, here's the thing. People go into this shutdown mode when they hear that there is such a thing as absolute, the absolute nature of truth. Because this... It doesn't resonate with what they've been told and programmed with through mind control since the day they were born. They've been told truth is shades of gray. It's not absolute. It's not black and white. And this is bunk. This is new age bunk. And it's also mind control bunk. Because the truth is a particular way. It is as things actually are. It is what is, that which is. It's not open to interpretation. It's not open to shading. It's not open to, to color of opinion. It is a certain way. Causal dynamics that play out as physical manifestations in our world happen as a result of things playing out a certain way. And that is called the truth that which actually does occur that which goes through the formality of actually occurring in physical manifestation is the truth of our situation and that's not open to an interpretation it's that which is we'll pick this aspect up on the other side of the break stay with us folks We're back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Talking about the absolute nature of truth. The truth is extreme, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't care what you think of it. It doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. It's unwavering and unyielding. That's how natural law operates. Grow up, get over it. The object for the successful navigation of this dimension this realm, this universe, however you want to look at it, 
is the recognition of those natural laws and the willful decision to live in harmony with them because you are subject to them. The end for all time. That is what an ad- how an adult has come to understand the nature of the situation that we're in here. All bound together. All one. Under immutable laws that we did not create as separate monads of consciousness, as separate individuated consciousnesses. Or you could look at it as individuated drops in an ocean which are formed of the same thing and are basically indistinguishable from each other in that ocean of consciousness. All with the same rights, but with different individuated unique properties. Truth is absolute. That's extreme. It's contrary to what we've been told. It, it, is, it works the same way at all times, places, and, and scenarios. The word absolute we covered, it comes from Latin, ab, which is a prefix meaning away from, and salute, which is the solid matter that needs to be dissolved in order to form a solution. The solidity, which is the ego, which is what we're looking to dissolve in people, to come to acceptance of that which is. And that doesn't mean accept things the way they are, even though they're wrong. That's not what we're talking about. Don't get it twisted into some nonsensical new age bunk of there always has to be evil. No, evil is a choice made in the moment. It's not something that is just foisted upon us that we have no choice but to accept. And it is eternal and always must be. This is new age bunk is what it is. And if you believe that bunk, you're under mind control. And I got news for you. You're not even under mind control by New Agers. You're under mind control by the Satanists and the dark Luciferians that invent that New Age bunk and put it out there so you'll swallow it down like the bunch of crap that it is with a fork and a spoon. To continue evil is a choice made by the rejection of conscience in the moment. That is what it is. Perpetuated by ignorance and the refusal to accept personal responsibility for one's actions. The solute is the ego that needs to be gone away from. And you get rid of it by dissolving it with truth, which is the solvent. It has to be dissolved in a solvent. It has to be broken down. That's what this process of spiritual alchemy is about. Breaking down the calcification of the ego, the solute, so that a solution can be formed and enacted. The word solvent is probably the most interesting when you break it down using uh, etymology and green language. It comes from the Latin as well. I'm on slide number 10 now. It comes from the Latin solve, which means to release, to unbind, to free, to untie, to open up. Think about it. 
The solvent is the truth. It is the solution, the understanding of natural law. Saying no to evil, saying no to domination, saying no to ignorance. This is the solution. It is the solvent. These are truths in which the ego must be dissolved and come to accept. If you break down the word solvent, soul vent, the venting of the soul, to vent something is to release it, is to free it. It is the freeing of the soul. The freeing of the light within us, soul, the sun, the one, the uniqueness within the individual, the unique value of every individual, the infinite value of every individual, the soul vent, green language. Most people still can't see that and still think it's some kind of a coincidence that, that, that that's not some cosmic, there's not cosmic significance to the way English language worked out. It, it, I mean, if you still think that, I feel sorry for you, that, that your perception is so devoid of wonder and so devoid of that pure, simplistic m majesty that that is how language is telling us truth. That I, I don't know what to tell you. In many ways, I think people that can't grasp that are truly something less than what they not only can be, but were intended to be. And that they are damaged in many ways. They're, they're, they're soul sick. The, the world is devoid of wonder and magic to them. And I, I think that that's pathetic. And I, I feel immensely, horribly sorry for an individual in that state of consciousness. Because the, the wonder of language and words in communicating ideas and knowledge and t telling us the truths that we need to hear and understand just in the words alone is absolutely incredible how that works out synchromystically. But if we break it down even in language, the word solvent comes from Latin meaning one, okay? And it's where the word sun comes from, the light of the world, the bringer of life to our world. And then vent comes from the Latin verb. Uh, there's really not a V sound in classical Latin. It's pronounced with a W. So it's V-E-N-I-O is the verb, and it's pronounced venio, venio, veniere, ventus. And that means to come or to become present, to arrive. So think about it. We break it down like that with the etymology of the, the second part of the word vent from venio ventus, in Latin, ventus, it means for the sun to arrive, the light to arrive. That's not amazing, right? No. It's just a coincidence. It's nothing to see here. Move along. The light to become present, the soul to become present, the one to become present. Unbelievable. And that is the solution. The acceptance of the truth of the light 
of true unique individuality and the value of the individual, the acceptance of that truth. That is the solution. That is the fundamental worldview shift that brings the solution into manifestation through the dissolving of the ego and the acceptance of truth. Now, what we're going to talk about throughout this section involves the understanding of causality and natural law, which we've already talked about. We, we've talked about it to a point of practical sickness that I've repeated the same things over and over so much. But unfortunately, that's what's necessary to keep saying the same thing over and over again for people to really get it, for it to sink in. Is that a form of mind control? Yes, it is. For the right reason. It's a form of mind influence when it's done for the right reason. It's not mind control. It's the influence of people's psyche to put them on the right path so that they truly understand it and grasp it for themselves at some future time. But repeating it over and over and over and over again plants that seed in deep ground. It plants the seed so it can have deep roots and grow to be something strong in the individual's consciousness. We need to keep repeating the same things over and over, even if we don't like it, having to do that. So I'm going to pick up with an important aspect of causality on the other side of the break, and we're going to meet the Merovingian, and you'll understand what I mean by that on the other side. I'm going to break down a very key scene in the Matrix trilogy, the Matrix Reloaded Part 2, on the other side of the break. We'll Flawless be right back. science folks. believes you deserve the right to have... Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Go up there to the radio show page to uh, pull up the images that go along with today's show. I'm getting ready to explain image number 11. This is a slide that I posted on Facebook this week and wrote a bit of an explanation of because I think it is the greatest scene in almost any movie ever made. And it tells the ultimate secret to the universe, basically. It's from The Matrix Reloaded, the second part of The Matrix trilogy, movies which very few people understand from a, an allegorical perspective. And they really need to understand what these movies are telling us because there's some incredible truths revealed through these allegories. Um, I just want to say if anyone is holding on the line who is called in, I will not be taking calls today on this show and probably not for the next few weeks because this material is so important, I'm going to just hammer on it, okay? And, and it's just going to be me talking over the next few weeks. So phone calls coming in several weeks. Let's just say that now. Okay? So don't bother to call in for the next few weeks. I'll let you know when I'm taking calls again. I'm going to put this material out into the world in the way I want it put out there over the next few weeks because this is the things the people need to understand. These are them. These are the things people need to get regarding the dominator culture. 
and I'm going to put it out there in a completely unapologetic and unwavering fashion with no distraction. So that having been said, let's continue. The Merovingian character is probably one of the greatest characters that has ever been invented in any movie. And he hits the nail right down dead center, drives it right home. If you can understand what he is saying, I'm going to explain the scene. I'm going to read the scene to you, and then I will explain what the scene is about. The scene is in The Matrix Reloaded, the second part of the, the trilogy, which again, many people think is somehow so much less than the original movie, and it's not. It actually holds much greater spiritual truths than even does the original one. The original one is actually set up for the truths that are to come in parts two and three. So the heroes are going into the stronghold of this character known as the Merovingian who is holding another character hostage. The character he's holding hostage is called the Keymaker, okay? And the heroes want to get the Keymaker out of this guy's custody. They've been told to do this by another character called the Oracle in the movie. And we'll, I'll get to what all of these characters represent. Okay, but let's listen. Let's listen in on the scene. Okay, the characters, the heroes are Morpheus, Trinity, and Neo in the trilogy. Okay, and they represent the three aspects of consciousness: thought, emotion, and action. Morpheus, thought, or the mind. Trinity, emotions. Okay, the sacred feminine, and Neo who represents right action, the awakening to right action through the neocortex, okay? So the higher thought functions of the human brain are in the neocortex. That's why he's named Neo and he is the new human, the emerging human with a conscience, with a truly developed conscience, the next evolutionary version of what a human being actually is, who has a truly developed conscience. So we'll get into the reading of this scene on the other side of the break, and then I'm going to break it down for everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcast, and we'll be right back. All right, folks, we're back. Let's jump right back into the subject matter. We were talking about the scene with the Merovingian in The Matrix Reloaded. So I'm going to read the scene for you now on this slide number 11 called Meet the Merovingian. The heroes enter the room and sit down with the Merovingian, and Morpheus says to the Merovingian, you know why we are here. And the Merovingian replies, I am a trafficker of information. I know everything I can. The question is, do you know why you are here? Morpheus responds, we are looking for the keymaker. The Merovingian responds, oh yes, it is true, the keymaker, of course. But this is not a reason. This is not a why. 
The key maker himself, his very nature, is a means, not an end. And so, to look for him is to be looking for a means to do what? Neo responds, you know the answer to that question. And the Merovingian responds, but do you? You think you do, but you do not. You are here because you were sent here. You were told to come here, and then you obeyed. It is, of course, the way of all things. You see, there is only one constant, one universal. It is the only real truth, causality, action, reaction, cause, effect. The Morpheus character responds to this by saying, everything begins with choice. And the Merovingian replies, no, wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. And this is the nature of the universe. We struggle against it. We fight to deny it. But it is, of course, pretend. It is a lie. Causality. There is no escaping it. We are forever slaves to it. Our only hope, our only peace is to understand it, to understand the why. Why is the only real source of power. Without it, you are powerless. And this is how you come to me, without why, without power, another link in the chain. Neo responds to this by saying, this isn't over. And the Merovingian gets up from the table and says, oh yes it is. The key maker is mine. And I see no reason why I should give him up. No reason at all. That's basically the conclusion of that scene. It goes on to where the characters basically fight to, to get the key maker out of that building and uh, they eventually do get him, the heroes of the movie. But um, <clears throat> this is the absolute crux of the entire Matrix films. And I'm probably going to do an entire presentation soon on the Matrix trilogy uh, live here in Philadelphia. I'll book it someplace. But uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. And I, it's probably one of the next presentations I'm going to make. I am... Uh, in the process of talking to some people at a scene food market, maybe doing another lecture series there, perhaps on natural law, or maybe even perhaps something on the, uh, the matrix trilogy would be pretty fun to do there. So, uh, look for that in the future. I'll of course make announcements on the show when I have something, uh, booked, uh, definitively. So I wrote a small essay describing what this scene represents. So I'm going to read that right now. So I it put exactly what I wanted to say into specific words. Okay, here we go. This is what this scene actually means. 
In this scene from The Matrix Reloaded, the heroes of the film, Morpheus, Trinity, and Neo, representing thought, emotion, and action, respectively, have come to the stronghold of the villain known as the Merovingian. Now, the Merovingian represents the dark occultists, those dark keepers of esoteric knowledge who are currently ruling over the people of Earth right now. Okay? That's who he represents. He is one of the ultra elite that is set up, that is a made man, so to speak. He is in the club. Okay? He is in the dark occult. And he's in a position of power over other people because he has knowledge. He is a trafficker of information. He has knowledge that they lack. He understands things about the causal dynamics of the universe that they do not understand. And as such, in that differential of power, through that differential of knowledge, he can basically rule them. And until they acquire that knowledge and then use it for the right reasons, they're done. Done. They're going to be slaves eternally as a result of their own ignorance and stupidity. So, going back to what I've written here, the Merovingian is holding the character known as the Keymaker hostage. The Keymaker character is the means for unlocking people's minds to the true nature of the control system in which they are embedded. But more than that, he is the means to impart the understanding of why the world became that way. That's who the keymaker represents. That's what the keymaker represents. The keymaker is the means to understanding the natural law, nature's law of cause and effect. The causal relationships between choices that are made, behaviors that are enacted, and the manifested results that happen as a result of those behaviors. The key maker is the means to understanding the natural law of cause and effect, and therefore, he is the means to acquire the understanding of how not to create self-inflicted suffering. That's what the Keymaker character represents. The Merovingian in this scene is mocking the heroes because they don't even understand what the Keymaker is, and yet they want him. See, they subconsciously know they need him because the Oracle told him to go get them. They want the solution. They subconsciously know there's a problem. They've been, become cognizant of the control system that's been built up all around them, but they have no idea why that it is that way. What made it that way? The heroes don't even understand what the keymaker is. They do not get that he is the ultimate solution to all problems. He can unlock all the locks on all the doors on all the cells in which we have caged ourselves. The heroes were told to find the Keymaker by the Oracle character. She represents our subconscious and intuitive capacities. 
simple knowing but not at a conscious level. We'll pick this up on the other side. I'll continue the breakdown after these words. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with us. We're back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. I'm jumping right back into the subject matter because it's so important. Talking about the um, scene of the Merovingian in The Matrix Reloaded, probably the greatest allegorical scene in any movie ever made. I was breaking it down that the heroes were told to find the keymaker by the Oracle character who represents our subconscious or intuitive capacities. Now, many people fall into the error of thinking, oh, this is about uh, us being sent to the earth or making a decision to come to the earth. That's not what this allegorically represents. The, The oracle is our intuition, and she is sending us to the elite. See? Intuitively, we know there's a problem and we're looking to the people at the highest level of the pyramidal hierarchical structure as the solution. That's where we have to go to get the solution, to get the key maker. This has nothing to do. The truth is we don't go to the elite to get the solution. We have to understand the causal link between behavior and manifestation. That is the solution to the problem. And that's why the Merovingian is practically laughing at the heroes. He knows they're a joke at this point because they don't understand the why. And he tells them as much. And this is where the truth and freedom movement is, ladies and gentlemen, to, to, to have to break it to you in a really, you know, seemingly negative way and in a way that seems like it's, uh, you know, uh, has abandoned all hope. The truth and freedom movement, very few people within it really understand natural law and what rights are. There are, there are some, I'm not going to say that there are none. There are some people that do fully get it. And it's encouraging to see those people, to meet up with people like that. As a matter of fact, just last night at the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Social, I was talking with people who really did have a firm grasp and understanding of natural law and its principles. And it was extremely refreshing to know that there are people like that out there. But again, don't make the mistake, the people who do understand that, please don't make the mistake of thinking that you're in the majority because nothing could be further from the truth. This is a world full of dark souls that have not even the beginning of an inkling of the understanding of natural law or what rights are and are not. So let's go back to the analysis of uh, this scene. This part of the allegory is explaining that even most of the people who have intuitively become aware that they that they are living in an artificially created con- system of control, they have very little or no idea why that is the case or what type of change in their thinking and behavior is required to bring about a betterment of their current conditions. The Merovingian then goes on to explain what could easily be termed the ultimate secret of the universe 
in elegant and devastating simplicity. Our behavior is the root causal factor which inevitably and unwaveringly leads to effects in our reality, to manifestations, to manifested effects in our reality. Upon taking certain actions, certain effects are created, and we must experience the consequences that arise as a result of that causal link between behavior and manifested reality. Right action guided by conscience and in harmony with natural law will lead to desirable consequences such as order, peace, and freedom, while wrong action perpetuated by ignorance, the refusal of personal responsibility, and cop-outs such as, quote, I'm just following orders, unquote, will bring undesirable consequences such as chaos and ultimately enslavement. These laws of causality are always operating and we are always bound by them, whether or not we understand them, like them, or are even aware of their existence. And sadly, most people are not even aware of their existence. Only by discovering and understanding these natural laws of behavioral consequence can we ever, ever, hope to improve our condition as a species and gain true freedom. Without that knowledge and understanding, we are forever, forever enslaved by our own ignorance. And as the Merovingian says, just another link in the chain of slavery. That is what that scene means. And he's telling people even choice at some level is an illusion because you either have the free will choice decision to align yourself with, with natural law, which you are already bound by. Or you have the free will decision to ignore it and suffer as a result. And that doesn't mean natural law is here as a prison condition because the universe is a prison. This is more nonsensical, dark occult mixed with dark new agey nonsense. It's a construct for the experience of the spirit. And these laws are here as guidance that can create effects that we can scarcely imagine as far as their wonders and possibilities and potential if we decide to live in harmony with those natural laws of creation. We can have and be and do whatever we want so long as we are not violating other people's rights to do those things. So this scene is incredibly empowering if possibly under, if properly understood. But most people have about a nursery school child's capability of understanding allegory. They want to take everything at face value and just see it as a science fiction film when it's a powerful spiritual allegory wrapped as a story. You have to peel back the exoteric and get to the, the, the incredible esoteric truths that underlie the story. Stop seeing it just as a story. 
The story is there for entertainment value to make the truth easier to accept so that people don't fall into the emotional mind control of just rejecting the message at face value because they're uncomfortable with it. They're entertained. They're in right brain mode. They're, they're you know, in a calm state waiting to be entertained. And then, boom, some powerful spiritual truths are hit them in the jaw like a right hook. That's what an allegory should do if it's properly made. So what we're getting at here is without the proper understanding of conscience and then the proper application of conscience, humanity is doomed. This is what we're here to learn, ladies and gentlemen. We're here to acquire the knowledge of conscience and then to put it to the right use, to put it into use, not just know it, but to use it. So I've put together a slide like this before, but this is a new one on what conscience really is. And it comes from the com combining of the prefix con with the word science. This is not a belief system. I don't know how many times I have to say that. This is a science of knowable and repeatable results is what the, the knowing of the natural laws of behavioral consequence are all about. It is not a belief system or a religion. It is science. Knowledge is the Look at what is conscience and how do we employ it on the other side. We'll be right back. We're back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Well, I want to thank my partner, Barb. During that last break, she brought me a uh, an ice pop made with fresh organic mango. And man, was it good. Uh, I feel totally recharged and rejuvenated after eating that during the break. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, Let's get back into conscience. This is what we were talking about. And we really need to have a good working understanding of what conscience really is. If we're going to turn this around, if we're going to harmonize ourselves with natural law. Conscience, of course, is, we break the word down, con, science. Now, what is the word con? It comes from Latin. It's a prefix that means together. And the verb to know in Latin is scio sciere. So we put it together, conscience means simply to know together. It is common sense. And um, also during a break, I was taking a look in the chat room uh, at the What on Earth is Happening radio show page. Uh, it's always there for anyone who wants to join in on the uh, chat room. It's underneath the player. Somebody said in the chat room that um, this stuff is all pretty simple, but it's not very common. And I saw that comment and I was like, he, he understands. Yes, exactly. It's all simple. None of this is extraordinarily complex and impossible to grasp or understand. If you can understand language, you can get this. You can understand it. 
There's no superhuman capability involved. A shift in the quality of attention is involved and a shift in worldview is involved. And that's it. And everyone is capable of that. Ladies and gentlemen, the people who think that there are just some people who can never get this, you're wrong. Everyone can understand this information. It is nothing that is difficult to understand. People are under conditioning and mind control, but more so than that, they really don't want to get the information. They don't want to know the truth because they know subconsciously that that implies personal responsibility to act based on knowledge. So they would w rather willfully remain ignorant so they could somehow attempt to justify their inaction by saying, I don't know, I didn't know that. And you know what that's called? Utter nonsense. It doesn't matter whether you think you can just put your hand out and say, no, please, don't want to hear it. I don't want to know how bad things are. And that somehow absolves you of your personal responsibility. It doesn't work that way. You are still responsible because you are not nescient. The word nescience we talked about as being a form of not knowing, but it's something you could not possibly have known. The knowledge was sanitized and was not present at all. That's completely different from ignorance, which, as I said a couple of weeks back on the Vinnie Eastwood show, I think we should stop calling it ignorance and start calling it ignorance and emphasizing it like that. Because then people will really sit up and take notice of what ignorance really is. It's ignoring something that is present. The truth is present in our world. It's not absent from the world. It's here. It's all around us. It's at your fingertips in, in a way that it never was before. And most people are just continuing to ignore its presence and continuing to remain in a state of ignorance. See how a little shift in just the pronunciation of a word can make it take on in someone's mind a whole new meaning. That's what ignorance is about. Ignoring that which is present. If someone's in a room and you're aware of their presence and you won't interact with them, you refuse to interact with them, that means you're ignoring them. You're not nescient, you're not unaware of their of their existence in the room. You can clearly see them and hear them. You're deliberately ignoring them. And that's what the situation is like with the truth. And this is totally related to conscience. Because most people know they do have a conscience and they're deliberately ignoring it. They're betraying their conscience willfully by refusing to step up, speak, and take any action based on truth. They think that they can ignore reality and that there are no consequences for doing so. Well, you, you know what? You can't ignore reality. You could ignore it all you want. But what is impossible, what is not possible, is escaping the consequences of the decision to ignore reality. That's not possible, ladies and gentlemen.
Yes, you can ignore reality, but you cannot escape the consequences for doing so. And there are consequences that come with that decision, that choice, that free will choice. So conscience, when we understand it in its proper etymological breakdown, is to know together, or it is common sense. And as the gentleman in the chat room, or, or uh, perhaps lady in the chat room, I'm not sure, uh, said, this is all simple, but it's not very common. Common sense is not present in the world, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have common knowledge of the definitive difference between right and wrong, sadly. And largely, that's due to ignorance, not nescience, not because it's not possible to know. It's because most people don't want to take that knowledge into themselves because they think that they can shun personal responsibility by continuing to claim ignorance. And again, it doesn't work that way. So my working description or definition for what conscience actually is, is conscience is knowing. It is the possession of the definitive knowledge, not opinion, not belief, but the definitive knowledge of the difference between right and wrong under natural law. Definitive knowledge, it means that there aren't shades of gray when it comes to the understanding of right and wrong. You know what right is. You know what wrong is because it harms others. And that which harms others is not one of our rights. What, is the, what does it mean to actually use conscience or to exercise it, to employ it in the world? The next slide, number 13, explains what this is. The exercise of conscience, and again in these two slides I've put an image of an angel in the background. Whether you agree with such an idea or construct or being, it really doesn't make a difference. This is a symbol that has been ge generally used throughout time immemorial to represent a concept of the higher self, the, the, the soul, a higher form of consciousness which is constantly speaking to us and telling us the right thing. The exercise of conscience is the willful choosing of right action over wrong action once the definitive knowledge of the difference between right and wrong under natural law has been acquired. So you have the knowledge, then you act upon the knowledge. And the betrayal of conscience is having that knowledge, knowing the definitive difference between right and wrong, and choosing the wrong action over the right action. That's what's been termed the sin against the Holy Spirit, or the unforgivable sin. In Christian tradition, in Christian parlance, okay? That's betrayal of the sacred feminine aspect of the self, the emotions, the intuition, care. You're betraying your conscience when you choose the wrong action over the right action, even though you do know what the difference between right and wrong is. Now, people want to claim that most people don't know the true difference between right and wrong. Many people claim that they do and have no idea what the real difference between right and wrong is. That's really sad when somebody who doesn't know tries to claim that they do know. And you ask them to explain it to you and you hear just absolute verbal diarrhea pour out of their mouth like just an endless liquid brown sludge. Sorry to be so graphic, but it's true. 
you know, they'll say, I know the difference between right and wrong and cannot enunciate it or elucidate on it one iota. Not even a little tiny bit. They can't even put it into words. Hell, they could practically spell it. So it isn't that people don't real, most people don't really know the difference between right and wrong. It's they're willfully choosing ignorance. They're willfully choosing to go against their conscience. They don't want the responsibility that comes with right action, with knowing and right action. They want to remain perpetual infants in consciousness. And really the only thing that can turn that around is the development of willpower and courage. Stop being afraid of what the consequences are and do the right thing in the moment. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. We're back, folks. Last segment of What on Earth is Happening for this edition. On tax day of 2012, talk about wrong action and violence. We're talking about conscience and the definitive knowledge between the difference between right and wrong. We really covered this extensively on the section uh, where we covered natural law as what needs to be the ultimate foundation for enacting any solution in the world. You know, until we understand that knowledge, we really shouldn't be doing many actions at all. We should really be reserving our action until we really understand that. That's why natural law really needs to be taught to young people, you know, from as early as they can start comprehending language. So that when they do start taking actions regarding other people in the world, uh, in relationship to other people in the world, their actions will be in harmony with natural law. And that's the problem. We're not teaching natural law to anyone because we don't know it ourselves as a society. It hasn't been taught to us and therefore the, the uh, propagation of ignorance goes down generation to generation. So uh, there's many slides. There's four three slides here from the natural law section as a brief review. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the word right is synonymous with correct because they are based in truth. Right means both moral and correct because it's based in truth and natural law. If something is correct, it's based in truth. If something is moral, it's based in natural law and it's based in truth and it's correct. It's right. Actions that are based in right do not result in harm to other sentient beings. Wrong, contrasted with right, is incorrect. It is immoral. That's why we use it for both meaning both incorrect, you're, you're wrong about that, you're, you gave the wrong answer, and immoral. We follow what is not true, it leads us to immoral behavior. Incorrect, not based in truth. Immoral, not based in natural law. That's what wrong is. And the reason that it's wrong is because actions that are based in it result in harm to other sentient beings. And that's common sense. You know when suffering is being caused to another person. And if there's no soft suffering being caused to another living being that has provable cause 
provable result of harm that has been done to them, then there's no wrong action that has been done, and someone has a right to take that action. You know, someone brought up the other day that, okay, the, uh, the uh, Islamic law that prevents women from showing their face, could that be in harmony with natural law? Absolutely not. It's, in, it's an impossibility for that to be in harmony with natural law. Is it a right or not for a woman to show her face to someone else in public? Of course it is a right. Why is that a universal right? It doesn't matter what a religion says about it. It doesn't matter what a government says about it. It doesn't matter what any individual says about it. At all times, all places in the universe, you are allowed to bear your face in public. Why is it a right? Because you're not harming someone else as a result of that behavior. So let's look at smoking marijuana for an example. Is that a right or is it not a right? It is universally, 100%, unequivocally, at all times and places in the entire universe, a right. Why? Well, one, because you're doing it to you. Shoving a joint in someone else's mouth, lighting it, and forcing them, you know, holding your, your fingers over their nose and your hand over their mouth until they're forced to take a breath is not a right because you're doing it to someone else that may not want that. So you're coercing their will, their free will. Whenever there's coercion of free will involved, it's not a right. Because harm is being done. The person is saying no, and you're refusing to accept their refusal. Which, this is what the show next week is going to be about entirely. The whole show on apophysis and the power of the word no. And I'm going to go into some allegories again through popular fiction, of the usage of the word no. I'm going to look at three particular modern movies that th the most powerful word in the universe is explained in allegorical fashion. The word no, which we need to start falling in love with. And understand apophysis, which I'm going to touch on at the end here today. But... This is the difference between right and wrong. You're allowed to smoke marijuana under natural law because you're doing it to you. You are taking something into your body. That's your property. You own this vehicle while your consciousness inhabits it in this realm. Someone else doesn't own your body. Therefore, they're not allowed to tell you what you're allowed to do with your body via putting something into it. It doesn't matter what justifications or reasons they come up with. Now, that means you're responsible for what you do with your body after you ingest something. You're not absolved of personal responsibility. If you want to take some substance and then do something that is then subsequently, subsequently do something that is immoral, you need to be held accountable for the action. It doesn't matter that, that you took something. You made the decision to take something that affected your judgment. And then you did the action, so you're accountable for it under natural law. So understand what natural law is. This is slide number 15. A living being must be harmed or defrauded in order for a violation of natural law rights to have taken place. And rights that do not exist for an individual can never be granted by man's law to any other individual or any group of individuals. You can't make up a right that other people don't have and saying, well, now this group of people has that right. 
And this is what we think we can do with government and police and militaries, etc. And all kinds of bureaucratic institutions, rights that other people do not have. And they'll claim this nonsensical, non-existent social contract bunk as a result, uh, you know, to justify their immoral behaviors. And there is no such thing. doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a social contract. There's individuals either choosing to live in harmony with natural law with each other or refusing to live in harmony with natural law. And they're therefore creating chaos instead of order. So we need to know what right is versus what wrong action is. And the best way to know what right is, is through the negative. And I keep emphasizing this over and over again. Stop accepting this new age bunk of never look at the negative or don't try to define things in the negative sense. That's the best way to define what a right is, is to take a look, a good hardcore look and an honest appraisal of what is wrong. What is a wrong is what you need to truly understand to understand what a right is. Because a right is anything which remains if there is no wrongdoing, which is a harm to another person through your action. So if I sit here and drink a beer, that would have been illegal in 1920, even though I was harming no one. And now suddenly, magically today, that's legal. They can make something from immoral to moral or from moral to immoral at the stroke of a pen. Yeah, you didn't know how that's how, how it works. Morality and immorality have nothing to do with nature's laws. It has to do with the whims of a dictator who writes something down in a little book and now says, well, that's now immoral. Anybody that I catch doing it, is, it can be punished by whatever dictates I happen to uh, also pen down that they will be punished according to. It was moral to drink a beer in, in 1920 after prohibition was passed, just like it is moral to do it now. Why? Because I'm putting it into my body. Do I have a right to hold someone down who says that they don't want to drink any alcohol and pour a beer down their throat? No, I do not and never will. Because that's someone else's vehicle for expression, not mine. It's all about ownership and the understanding of self-ownership. And look, we've covered this extensively in the section on natural law, which I encourage everybody to go back in the podcast and listen to it again. Even if you heard it once, for those who haven't heard it, you need to go and listen to that material. This is just a quick review. I believe it was in the 70s up through the 80s is where I covered, uh, not where the, the 60s up through the, into the 70s, something like that in the podcast section. Natural law holds true regardless of population. You know, people think, oh, that works when there's only a few people in the world, but, oh, when we have a big population, no, we can't respect these rights or these rights. We have to curtail those rights. Natural law holds true regardless of how many people are. And when in doubt whether an act is in harmony with natural law, visualize a scenario with only two people. And if it's right to defend, it's right, it's wrong, it's wrong to fault of seven billion we're going to talk about the apophatic inquiry, the apophatic nature of truth next week when it comes to saying no to this control system. That's all we have time for. Stick around. Chris Everard We all next. know that Berkey water purification system